so much for joining us today. Can you even believe that Christmas is coming up? We're only a week away. We are so excited to be able to celebrate this time of year together and think about our wonderful Jesus Christ. We want to make sure you know when to join us, where to join us, and what's going on. So please make sure you check our website, check our app, check your email, so you know all the dates and time. Friday, we have our Eve of Christmas Eve service here in Old Brooklyn. We're going to have a candlelight service, 7 p.m. It's a beautiful time to bring your family, your friends, to celebrate Christ together. Christmas Sunday, we're going to celebrate with our friends and the family at Columbia Station. We're going to have one unified service at 11 a.m., Fun stuff for the kiddos. They can stay in their Christmas jammies. Come and celebrate the beautiful day together. And then New Year's is on a Sunday this year, too. So January 1st, we'll be here in Old Brooklyn, 11 o'clock. We're going to have a wonderful service. We're going to have bagels and muffins. Come have breakfast with us. It's going to be an awesome time of year to be together. Let me say a prayer for us. Dear Father, we love you very, very much. We are incredibly thankful that you are a God who is good. We're thankful that you are a God who invites us to know you better. We're thankful that you are a God who is gentle and kind and that your gentleness has the ability to make us great. We pray, Father, that you would influence our hearts and our thinking and our choices today that we might become the men and women you've created us and called us to be. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Mother Teresa was a woman who devoted her life to caring for the sick and the poor. Her order established a hospital for the um, blind and elderly and disabled. She worked in Calcutta in some of the poorest of poor places and took care of the sickest people there. Her mission, her service, was to care for those who were unwanted and unloved and uncared for. And she opened up orphanages and nursing homes and family clinics and mobile health clinics and a leper colony to help those who were completely overlooked. Her goal was to give uh, dignity to the sick and for those who were dying to have a safe, clean place to go as their life came to an end. And I always find it so interesting when you look at the life of somebody like Mother Teresa, who just did the hardest of hard jobs with a loving and gentle spirit, we have to ask, how? How was she able to work in these places and do these hard things under these conditions? And if you study her life and you look into who she was and the woman that she became, she had a life that had been touched by the grace of Jesus Christ and the time she spent with God renewed her soul in the kind of way that she was able to go out and do this hard work. She was able to love and serve and be absolutely fearless in this mission to serve and take care of those that nobody else would care for. And I find this question interesting because you can't work in these conditions and not be affected by the burden and the pain and the struggles of other people. You can't be with those who are sick and dying over and over and not feeling the weight of loss. It leaves a mark in your heart and in your soul, and it would be too hard for so many of us. But Mother Teresa was a girl that was called by God and on mission, and it affected the work that she did in the name of Jesus Christ. I love this quote from her. She said, the greatest disease in the West today, it's not TB or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. She said, we can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. 
It's not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There is a hunger for love as there is a hunger for God. And she speaks to this heart of what we need in Jesus Christ and what it means to be a follower of him, which can so often be missed. It's interesting. One book put it this way. We think we know, like, this is what it means to be a Christian, and this is what it means to love Jesus. But I love how one book framed it. Most people think Christianity, it's a scale. All the bad things you ever do go on one side, and all of your good deeds sit on the other, and this scenario comes together. Your life's ultimate goal becomes working to put as many things on the good side as possible so that your scale tips as you take the final breaths of your life to the right direction. Most people think they'll end up sitting pretty in the next world, even if they think there is a next world, as long as they can get the, til the scales tilted right. While this may seem right, the Bible teaches us that's not what life's about at all. God basically says that we could never tilt the scales enough to be found acceptable by him. But because he loves us so much, he didn't leave us without hope. God says we can accept what his son did in dying on a cross for our sin, paying for every bad deed we'd ever committed and will ever commit. And then by the power of this love, we're accepted by him and we'll spend all eternity by our side. It's not about getting the scales tilted. There's nothing we can do. It's about a relationship to Jesus Christ. And Martin Luther in his time put it this way. He said, without an experience of grace, all our good deeds are essentially self-serving, impersonal, and conditional. We do the right thing in order to get into heaven or to better our self-esteem. But people who know they are totally accepted already do the right thing out of grateful love. He's saying that it's not about serving so that we just get a good place in heaven. And it's not about helping so we can feel better about ourselves. It's our faith in Jesus Christ, our relationship to him expressing itself through love. The goal of growing in faith is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Not so that we can just live a more comfortable life or an easier life or a pain-free life, but that our character, our thoughts, our feelings and actions would grow more and more into who he's called us to be. Last week, we talked about this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, and it's these values, these characters that we can live by, directions for a healthy heart and a healthy mind and a healthy life. What's being produced in us as we do life with Christ is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because that's who Christ is. And the more time we spend with him, the more these values grow in us and are the product of our relationship with him. And it's interesting because Paul doesn't just like, yay, fruit of the Spirit, let's go. Like he picks up this idea at the end of chapter 5 and continues it into our relationships in chapter 6. The very last verse in Galatians 5, verse 26, he says, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So he picks up this idea, and he says, if we're growing in Christ, if the fruit of the Spirit are growing in us, it allows us to do life in the kind of way that we become a help to one another, that we are the ones who build each other up. 
It's not about saying, okay, now that you love Jesus, criticize everybody, tear everybody down, make sure you point out where they're messing it up and how terrible they are and make signs that say horrible things on them. That's not what he's saying. He says, if you love Jesus, that's what he means about living by the Spirit. Not that you have to be some like spiritually like champion. If you just are a guy or a girl who loves Jesus and wants to follow him, we can help one another with a spirit of gentleness. I love how Timothy Keller says it. He says, provoking is the stance of somebody who is sure of his or her superiority, looking down on someone perceived to be weaker. On the other hand, envying is the stance of someone who is conscious of inferiority, looking up at someone they feel is above them. But both of these are forms of conceit. Listen to how interesting this is. Both the superior and the inferior person are self-absorbed. In both cases, you're focusing heavily on how the other person makes you look and makes you feel instead of how you make him or her look and feel. But in contrast to both of these, the superiority, the inferiority is the gospel. And the gospel creates a new self-image. He said it humbles us before anyone, telling me I am a sinner saved only by grace but also it emboldens me before anyone, telling me I am loved and honored by the only eyes in the universe that count. See, the gospel of Christ disrupts this conceit that consumes our heart. It's in all of us. Nobody has to teach you to be selfish. It just comes naturally in our human condition. We can be so self-absorbed that we either have superiority where we're looking down on people or insecurity and inferiority where we always feel like everybody's better than us and we have to look up and we're not as good. But when we see ourselves through the lens of the gospel and who Christ is and the only eyes in the universe that matter, it changes our hearts. It's no longer conceit that's leading us. It's no longer arrogance or insecurity that's guiding us, but Jesus Christ. And when this change, this new image, this new idea happens, it empowers us in our relationships with one another. We can do life with other people, not based on our insecurity that we're trying to cover up for or our arrogance where we feel better, but instead with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When Christ is leading my heart, we are able to be a help and encouragement to one another. And Paul says, he starts chapter 6, he's like, how can we help each other? Let me give you two really good ideas that allow us to be sources of help for one another. The first one, he says, is restore one another. And I think this is so incredibly important because he puts the um, qualifier with gentleness we can restore each other gently in a kind of way that helps direct us in the way we should go. Look, life is hard, and we don't always get it right. We might love Jesus desperately, and still there are areas that we struggle. We are ongoing sinners. It's who we are, all of us. And we all need people in our life who know us, who care enough about us to help who are there to remind us of who we want to be and who we're trying to follow. And we don't need scolded or ashamed or embarrassed publicly where we have to stand up in front of everybody else. We don't need any extra guilt piled on. But we do need gentleness to help one another with the goal of restoration. I mean, all of us have messed up before. 
all of us know what it's like to, you know, you have that feeling of like getting called to the principal's office and you're going to get in trouble or scolded. That's not how Paul says we restore one another. It's not this feeling of like, oh no, you're in trouble now. Instead, it's this ability to do life with each other in the kind of way that we are here to restore each other when things get us off track or we make wrong choices or we go down paths that aren't healthy for us. Now, it's interesting because the Greek word that's used here for restore was actually used for setting a dislocated bone back in place. If you've ever injured yourself and the bone has to be reset, it's not a pleasant experience, but it's the only way it heals and gets better. It's the only way that it mends and grows in the right way. If it doesn't, then it affects whether it's your arm or your leg or how you walk or how you move. But for it to heal, it has to be reset. It has to be restored. And the same idea is true in our lives. The right relationships, when we're doing life with people, help us grow in character. It helps sharpen the dull edges that we have in our lives, and it helps strengthen our faith and our hearts. This is what we need. We need people in our life who help us look at ideas and life differently, who help clarify our thinking, sharpen our mind. We need uh, people that we can relate to in the kind of way that grows us and stretches us and we learn and we develop and we change in healthy and productive way. We need places like the church where we can do life with one another and bump into each other in healthy ways, where we can learn from different contexts and backgrounds and perspectives, where we can challenge each other, encourage one another, a place where we're not trying to be perfect like, we don't come to church and be like, this is my perfect Christian face. Everything's great, right? No, we come here to be real because we're real people trying to grow in our faith. And we want to bring our authentic selves with us, the good and the bad. Anybody who only gives you the good side of it, they're covering up because it's there. We all have parts of ourselves that we want to do better in. We all have memories of when we didn't get it right. We all have the feelings of guilt and shame over bad choices and things we've done in our life. That's who we are. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, it's not all that we are. We are all of us more than our worst mistake. We are all of us more than our worst decision, our worst choice, or our worst behavior. In Christ, we are all empowered and enabled and encouraged to be the men and women he created us to be. But we need people in our life that we've given permission to speak the truth to us, to challenge us, to help us see life in different ways. Look, criticism can be hard. I don't want to know that I'm doing a bad job. I want to hear I'm doing a great job. I want someone to be like, sis, you are amazing. Wow, right? Like that's, that feels good. But if only people tell you how good you're doing, there's more of our life in that, and we can't see what we can't see but other people can, and their valuable help and insight can help us grow in areas that we have blind spots, areas that we've overlooked or missed that we could be doing so much better in. Nobody's like, just criticize the heck out of me, right? I don't need criticism from everybody because not everybody's voice is equal, but I do need it from the right people who know me well enough to say, man, I know you, and I know who you're trying to be. I think this is an area you're missing that helps get us back on the path of growth and development. With the right heart and the right spirit of gentleness, this can help us learn and understand and grow. 
not everything in me is right all of the time. And the best friends aren't the ones who say that it is. The best friends are the ones who are saying, man, you got this junk over here, and it's, I see it. And they help direct us and remind us of who we want to be. We need people in our life that can help restore us with a spirit of gentleness. I love, um, Dr. Henry Cloud talks about the idea about the connections that we need in our life and the people that we should be surrounding ourselves with. He says if you have true connection, it fuels you and gives you freedom. It requires responsibility. It chips away at failure and challenges and pushes and builds structure. And it unites instead of divides. And it has to be trustworthy. When we truly connect with each other, when other people are in our life, they can help draw out the potential of who we are and who we can be. And these true right connections that we need help us live authentic lives rather than trying to get everybody to think we're something we're not or pretending to be somebody or somebody else. Listen to what he says. The undeniable reality is that how well you do in life and in business depends not only on what you do and how you do it, your skills and competencies, but also who's doing it with you or to you. Who's helping you? Who's fighting you? Who's strengthening you or resisting and diminishing you? To absolutely thrive in life, we need true, real connection because there is such an incredible capacity to learn from one another and grow from the people around us. We need people in our life who can encourage us and do life with us and support us and have our backs in the ups and downs, right? Life gets hard, and we need people who are there not just for the fun moments, but for the hard moments too. And it turns out God uses people in our life to help grow us. We get to do life where we work together and help with each other and grow with each other, and we all need each other because all of us have different abilities and different strengths and different life experiences that we can share with one another. I have a lens of how I see life because of where I grew up and how I grew up. You have a lens of how you see life. And when we put our lenses together, we get to see things differently, which helps open our eyes and our perspectives to this great, big, lovely, messy world that we live in. For some of us, this means it's time to start opening ourselves up to each other. I know it can be hard to be vulnerable, right? I see vulnerability in somebody else, and I'm like, wow, that's so strong. But then it's me, and it feels like weakness. Like, no, 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 I can't be vulnerable there. But we don't have true relationships and connections if we aren't vulnerable enough to let people in and see who we are. Again, it's not everybody. Not everybody needs to know everything about you. It's not, they're not trustworthy with it. They're not a safe place. But the right few, the right group, the right people around you, they get to be part of the struggle and the work and the building and the growing where you can pray for each other, help each other in a spirit of gentleness, remind each other and encourage each other on the life that you're trying to live. For others of us, it's time to start being that voice of truth in the life of somebody else. It's time to be that encouragement to take what we've experienced and what we've been through and where God's been growing us and working in us and share it with other people. Our history, our past, our life has gotten us right where we are today. And we could be a valuable resource, a gentle voice in the life of somebody else. Don't try and get through this next season of life alone. 
Don't try to put on a, a, a fake facade, like everything's good and you've got this. The worst thing in the world that happens is you see the exterior image and everything looks amazing. Somebody's fa fa a family looks beautiful and they're thriving, but then you peel away the covers and they're suffering and they're hurting and it's all done alone. You don't have to experience this alone. God gave us each other to be the ones who restore each other, who reset the broken pieces of our lives with gentleness, because that is what Christ has done for us. Who could you connect with? Who could you ask for help? Who could you be a help towards? Who could you encourage? Who could you just pray with and remind of how good God is? Paul says, when Christ is growing in us, we get to be a source of help for each other that restores one another with the spirit of gentleness. And I want to add on, because he does put this qualifier in, and sometimes we miss this. He says, but be careful so you don't get caught up in sin too. Now, what he's not saying is like, oh, you're going to help somebody. They're going to drag you down to their level. Be careful who you hang out with. He's like, no, don't get so up on your high box that you're like, I'm amazing, you're not, and now pride's leading my voice. He's talking about that superiority complex we all get, like, well, I don't have their sin, right? We get caught up when we miss our place because we stop looking through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We restore one another, not so we can feel better about ourselves, not so that we can build up our own insecurity or superiority, because that goes right back to the conceit, which is self-absorbed. We restore one another because it's what Christ does for us. Remember, it is by the gentleness of Jesus Christ that we are great. Every one of us is here because of the restoration that Christ offers us in knowing him and loving him. And as we graciously share that peace and that presence and that grace with one another, we become voices of gentleness towards one another. But then Paul gives us a second way that we can help. Restore one another. Use the spirit of gentleness. But he says, also, you can carry each other's burdens. Now, the burden here is a heavy weight. It means you have something to carry. It's heavy. And if you've ever had to carry, you know, we can think of like the physical before. You've had to carry something, groceries, moving furnitures. If you're a parent, you got the bag with all the accessories in it. Um, you ever go, we were at Universal Studios and we had a backpack. And I'm telling you, that backpack started off like a normal size weight. By the time we left the amusement park, I think it weighed 500 pounds. <laughs> like, I don't know what, we weren't putting rocks in there, but it got heavier and heavier as the days go on. We can think about physical weights because we've all had to lift something that was heavy. But emotionally, we carry heavy burdens as well spiritually we have weights that have been in our life and in our hearts and in our emotions and they've been hurt or disappointments or illnesses or worry or loss or broken relationships and what happens with a heavy burden is it gets heavier over time if you've had to hold something the longer you carry it the heavier it gets and emotionally spiritually the longer we've been living with a problem a hurt a struggle a loss it gets heavier and heavier and heavier and we all need help carrying the burden and i love this imagery here because it's carry each other's burdens like literally like bearing with one another doing life together holding each other up it has this connotation of we endure the struggles and the ups and the downs and the goods and the bads we endure life with one another. You know, the church is God's good idea. And, and as much as religion about this and that and right and wrong and what's worked and what hasn't, at the core of the church, 
at the core of this community that God wants to build in every nation, in every community, in every neighborhood, in every city, is this idea that you have a place where you can do life with one another and lean into each other and grow with each other and serve with each other and endure life with one another. We have these walls of the church not to like hide out from the rest of the world, but to support each other, encourage each other, strengthen each other to go out and be about the work of life. We get to hold one another up. We get to carry the weight of life with each other. Sometimes that backpack that weighed 500 pounds, you just need to take it down for a second. But life says you can't take your foot off the gas pedal. You got to keep going. There's more to do, which is where we need somebody else to stand with us and help us carry the burden. You know, Christ reminds us again and again, we don't have to be afraid. We can be strong and courageous. He's never going to leave us. And some of the best examples we have of Christ being with us is the people he put in our life that we get to do life with. The people he put right next to us to help us right now, this time, this season, this day. Which is why he gave us the gift of the church where we get to do life with men, women, families that can encourage each other and carry life's burdens together. The church is at its healthiest when this is who we are. When we say we are growing with Jesus Christ, his spirit at work in us is producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. All these things are growing in us. And then we take what Christ is working into us and we help carry the load for each other. We give our time, our service to help one another. We come together and we volunteer our time and our talents and our generosity to support one another. We're not spectators in the crowd just watching what's going on. We're saying we're in the game. We're on the team. We're, in, we're playing to do this well because of who God is and who he's called us to be. We share what God has done in our lives with each other. We minister to one another. We serve together. We help one another. We have all kinds of beautiful ministries in this team where we serve the church and our kids and families and the community. We got together yesterday. It was cold yesterday. And we served 140 families because sometimes food is the one thing you need to make that one gap fill in between whatever's going on. And we were here, and it was a beautiful moment. And everybody who was here, didn't matter how cold you were, they had an awesome heart to serve, and there was community and joy because we got to be part of God's good work in this world. That's who the church is. That's who God calls us to be. Maybe it's time for you to connect. Maybe it's time for you to join a ministry, join a team, join a life group, join something that puts you around other people so you have the right relationships to help encourage and restore and carry the burdens of life. But here's what's really interesting. To be able to carry the weight, the burdens of life for somebody else, there's two things you have to remember. One, you have to be close enough to see it. It, 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 it's hard to love or help other people from a distance. It's easy to hate from a distance. It's easy to totally criticize and totally have strong opinions about what's right and wrong when you aren't involved at all. It is very hard to help and love and understand when you aren't in the trenches involved seeing what's going on. To help carry the weight, you need to be close enough to see the weight, to hear it, to listen, to understand 
which means you got to let people in your life and you got to be involved in the lives of others. But you also are required to use some of your own strength. And I find this concept so interesting because we're all strong in different ways. Some of us are physically strong and we can come and carry that heavy thing that some of us, I'm not naming names, but some of us can't carry on our own and we need your weight. Some of us have um, emotional strengths that we can be rocks of support through hard emotional times. Some of us have spirits of joy that we can just infuse the place with fun and energy. We have different strengths. And when we bring our strengths together, it's not one person carrying the weight alone. It's, not, it's why one person doesn't do church alone. That's not how it works. It's lots of different people with skills and talents and gifts and strengths coming together in the weight is distributed so we're all carrying it together physically emotionally spiritually we become available to help we use our own strength our own hearts our own gifts our own time talents ties generosity to be part of the solution for doing what's right in the world humbly gently we get to help others carry the load we get to lean into one another. We get to be the strength somebody can lean into us, and then we have the strength when we need to lean into somebody else. This is what Christ teaches it means to live out our faith in him. If we love Christ, if we want to be his guys, his girls, his community, his church, then we show up and we care for one another. We help one another. In a spirit of gentleness, we restore and encourage each other. We're the reminder for one another when things get off track. We're the support to help get things moving in the right direction again. I love this idea because it says this, love covers a multitude of sins. Please hear this. It doesn't say hate. <laughs> it doesn't say criticism. It doesn't say shame. It says love covers a multitude of sins. The love of Christ is what forgives us and redeems us and restores us and encourages us and picks us back up. His gentleness that gives us a path towards greatness. It's the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ that gives us chance after chance after chance. He covers us in mercy, not in anger, not in shame. And as we have the love of Christ in us, he carries us as we carry one another. He helps us as we help one another. He forgives us as we forgive one another, gently restoring each other. Our faith expresses itself in love, loving God first with all that we are, and then loving the people he's put around us that we get to do life with. That's how we serve in this world. That's how we help one another with a spirit of gentleness because that is how Christ has loved us. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us. I pray that we would be this community that you want to build in the world, that we would be a beacon of light and hope and goodness and gentleness. I pray that we would be a source of restoration and encouragement and help for one another. I pray, Father, that no one would feel that they have to carry the burdens of life alone, that we would help distribute the weight among us, that we can do this life well, that the church would be built up in the name of Jesus Christ, and hearts and lives would be changed for good. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.